Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, June 29th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, not all medical marijuana programs are created equal. Then Mississippi law enforcement launches a campaign against human trafficking and a conversation about mental health in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's legislature continues to chart a path towards a medical marijuana program, but it's unclear to all involved quite what that program will look like. At a hearing yesterday, members of the Mississippi Senate Public Health Committee heard from Utah lawmaker Evan Vickers. His state is home to some of the most restrictive medical marijuana regulations in the country. In some of the dispensaries, really the some of the people who were helping the patients, they just were not experts in any way, shape, or form. They, in some cases, you know, literally were just bud tenders, and they would, they may be the only thing they, their expertise was that they had maybe got high on it the night before. So we really had a concern that we wanted to make sure that we kept it in a, a medical professional route all the way through the process. So we require cannabis pharmacies, not cannabis dispensaries. Then Physicians, we do require physicians to become what we call qualified medical practitioners. We require them to do some uh, additional continuing education and some additional education in their program. There was a a strong urge, at least of the people like the medical association and others, they wanted to put a cap on the number of patients that a a physician could see. We were trying to avoid a physician just specializing in cannabis and just, you know, trying to make a lot of money off of cannabis. So we capped it. We, we allowed specialists, certain type of specialists to have a cap of 600 patients, a regular general practitioner would be 200. We do allow nurse practitioners and physicians assistants to also become qualified their QMPs. Utah's system, with its clear guardrails to limit recreational access to medical cannabis, is one potential model for Mississippi's program, but it's not the only one. Lawmakers yesterday also heard from Scott Fegeter, an Oklahoma state representative who's played a key role in crafting that state's policy. When a patient goes to the doctor, uh, they pay a fee to the doctor. The doctor then uh, gives them a recommendation, not a prescription. They give them a recommendation for a medical marijuana card. Uh, They then take that uh, recommendation to Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority. Uh, They pay a small fee uh, and um, somewhere between 10 to 14 days, they typically have their card at that point. And so it's a very simple process in Oklahoma as far as getting that card. 10% of our population currently has a medical marijuana card. I didn't realize we had so many ill people in our state, but (laughs) with 10% of Oklahomans feel the need to have a medical marijuana card. And after my three years of studying this issue and and getting to know the industry as well as the, the culture and the activists 
in the industry. I, you know, it's my assumption at this point, uh, anecdotally speaking, uh, you know, about two people to three people are using each one of those cards. So the population in Oklahoma is a large number using some form of medical marijuana at this point. You, you would not be incorrect in saying that it's, it's very much kind of a pay-to-play system, in my opinion. Scott Fegeter, it's worth noting, is a Republican with a background in construction management. Jerry Garcia, he is not. And yet he's built a liberal, loosely defined medical marijuana program in a state that's politically not unlike Mississippi. So which approach makes the most sense for the Magnolia State? Carmen Hansen specializes in pharmaceuticals at the nonpartisan National Conference of State Legislatures. She tells MPB reporter Ashley Norwood there's no one-size-fits-all approach. They regulate for the, the population they have, the structure of your state, if you're a big state, small state, how many people you might think would be signing up for a program. So just to make rules and regulations that will work for the state and using examples from other states is the best way for them to get ideas on what could work well with Mississippi. Because they could all look different, basically. Exactly. What impact, if any, could a neighboring state um, have, like, for example, what's happening in Alabama uh, with with them creating a program and with uh, Louisiana extending their program? Sure. Well, every state that has either medical or non-medical use of cannabis has in their rules and regulations that it is illegal to take their products outside of their state. So their products are only good in their state. That's where they're only allowed. So in theory, anyone who is taking products from one state into another is breaking that state's law and most likely the law of the neighboring states by bringing something in. Do you think it's uh, based off, you know, your research, is it uncommon um, what's happening in Mississippi for, you know, an initiative to pass and then for uh, the Supreme Court to uh, strike it down and then for it to come back to the legislature to create it? Is that unusual? Well, you and Mississippi and South Dakota actually both had ballot initiatives passed in November 2020 that were overturned by either the state Supreme Court or a district court judge. So Mississippi's was a little more unique in that they said basically it shouldn't have been allowed to be put on the ballot in the first place versus South Dakota, which theirs was challenged on being a single subject rule that was broken, meaning that they should only be able to institute something like a medical program or adult use only, but it did both. And so that was the the, the catch um, the judge felt on the South Dakota case. What does South Dakota stand now? Have they already created something or are they kind of, I guess, in the same boat as we are in trying to figure it out? Sure, yes. Yeah. South Dakota had a couple different measures on their ballot. So they've, they've been discussing, just like Mississippi is, kind of what's best for South Dakota right now. They've been having discussions and talking about it as well. Do you believe it's, it's possible, you know, for Mississippi to be able to satisfy, or for the state to be satisfied and the people? Like, is that possible? Sure. Well, just like this and any other policy that states make or that uh, citizens put on a ballot, you know, you, you try to do what's best for the largest amount of people, typically, or for the best interest of the state and, and the people. The state includes the people. So um, it's always that delicate balance for what, legislators are are crafting that meets the needs of the population, but this will not be done with just this one uh, measure, if there is a measure that comes through the legislature. It will be tweaked and changed, improved, 
as well as the legislature sees fit from there on out. Um, so it's never, you know, one and done, <laughs> never a one and done situation. <laughs> is there anything I didn't ask you that you think is important to add? Well, legislators across the country have been looking at this issue, and Mississippi is no different. And they have, you know, 35 other programs they can look at to get some ideas on what would be best for Mississippi if they decide to propose legislation in this area. Thank you so much, Carmen. Thank you for your time. Coming up, Mississippi lawmakers lean on truckers to help combat human trafficking. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Be the the Solution. That's the name of the campaign newly rolled out by Mississippi's Attorney General and Public Safety Commissioner. It's designed to combat human trafficking within the state by training truckers to recognize signs of trafficking at highway stops and on the road. At a press event yesterday, Public Safety Commissioner Sean Tindall said his office is committed to taking the issue seriously. This isn't just a Mississippi problem. It happens here. You can't just think it happens other places. The reality is it happens here and it happens everywhere. And one of the reasons why it's so important that the truckers are involved because they move our country from one end to the other. They keep this country going. And whether it's from Florida to to Oregon or California up to New England, they're crisscrossing this country and they see these things. It might not be happening in your house or to somebody in your family The reality is it's probably happening to one of their friends or somebody that they go to school with. And identifying those signs and understanding that you too, as a citizen of this state, can be a part of the solution is why we're here. And it's be the solution. It's be the solution. It's recognizing those signs. And if you see something, say something. Because the reality is, as a law enforcement agency, we can only do so much and we can only be so many places at one time. It takes the public being engaged and recognizing those signs and when they see what they believe is abuse, reporting it so that law enforcement can follow up. Lynn Fitch is Mississippi's Attorney General. Speaking with reporters yesterday, she too touted the anti-trafficking initiative. With the partnership not long ago, we rescued 20 young women and we got several bad actors off the street. So we are going after them full force to make sure that people understand no human trafficking here. You want to be involved, we're coming after you. Well, you can, certainly to the AG office, our office, we, we take all the calls all the time, Department of Public Safety, uh, and then the National Hotline, which is right here. Many times we get some of our, our tips from the National Hotline because people are afraid to call into their, their local law enforcement, the AG's office or public safety. But they'll call the hotline, and they immediately call all of us, and we begin going in, doing an operation, determining where those individuals are and how can we best rescue them. Any, any like, logistics that you can speak to about what Right. So this is a full uh, outreach campaign. And so we are moving forward training, training with all those commercial drivers, 
some of them have already been doing it. How do we do it more forcefully? How do we get those several hundred thousand commercial drivers out there to be aware? Uh, how do we, we're going to train the school bus drivers. Again, in the convenience stores, what a great place to be able to put up a number so that if they go into the restroom, they see that number, they call us. We know where they are. We can go and help them and rescue them. We're going to do public service announcements, billboards, any way that we can get the outreach. And the real key is people have to be willing to step in. That it's perfectly okay to call the 1-800. It's perfectly okay to call any of us that are in this partnership and know that we are so grateful because, again, that can mean a rescue. It can be empowering someone who might not live the next day because they're caught up in the human trafficking. What are the current penalties in Mississippi for human trafficking? And is there a thought with all of this kind of campaign effort to maybe increase those? Well, that's a great question. So we have been going from the maximum that we can for all these different bad actors. Many times it's also involved with child exploitation. So you get a number of charges that could be added, your child exploitation. Many times the components are drugs. You know, these young traffic victims many times have to take drugs. Their drug traffickers are also their oppressors. Uh, that are their human traffickers. So you, you have to think of those components, the extortion of money, trading a person for dollars. So we look at every angle with our prosecutors, and they've been great. Uh, we've been putting as many bad people away, those bad actors, as we possibly can. Change gears sure. to the uh, abortion fight in the U.S. Supreme Court. You were telling me earlier you're getting ready to file a brief on that measure. Uh, where do we stand in the state's fight regarding the abortion law? So the, the Dobbs case, uh, you know, recently the Supreme Court of the United States allowed us to take up our Dobbs case, the 15 weeks. We are moving forward with that. Our petition is due next month. We will then have the uh, other side will have to file their petition in September, probably be a rebuttal in a couple of weeks, and hopefully that the Supreme Court will hear us in person in November. That's the anticipation. This is a really important case uh, because it speaks to the abortion issue, but it speaks to the, the, um, the capability of the people that are elected, your legislators, your governor, to move forward with what the people in this state put as law. So we are the guardian of the law, and that's why the Attorney General's Office will be there fighting, protecting the laws of Mississippi. Do you think this case could overturn Roe v. Wade? Well, I don't think overturning Roe v. Wade is the, the angle. It is it's strictly the question is is there viability, when is there viability, and how is that sought by the states. So as you see a number of states enacting laws, we are going to uphold that states have the capability to enact laws because they are representing the people across their respective states. Here we have laws that our state legislators pass, our governor signed, and again, our job is to uphold the, the rule of law for the state of Mississippi. Can you comment on the lawsuit against Mississippi for the In God We Trust on the license plates uh, Right. We just recently received that lawsuit. Um, we and, and just, I mean, we'll be upholding the law again. It was passed by our state legislature, passed by the governor, you know, on an approval. So again, we will. We always go in, and we're going to protect the laws. Um, we are going to fight against outside interests coming in and trying to change our laws, trying to change the philosophy of the state of Mississippi, because that's not what was passed in our state. Does the state have the right to have in God we trust on a license plate? In your opinion. Absolutely. It was passed. It was very legitimately gone through the process. And again, that's the rule of law, and we will be upholding that for the, the car tag issue as well. And so. Coming back to the issue today, um, when somebody calls the hotline number to report a case of human trafficking, what is expected of them? So you, you don't have to give your name, and I think that's what's very helpful. But you can say, hey, I saw what I think is a victim, 
at this certain truck stop or this hotel or whatever the case might be, we immediately take it from there, disperse all of our operations with all these great team members, and we move in for the rescue. Thank you all so much. I just want to tell you all, thank you, thank you for being here. Thank you for helping us spread the message. Coming up, a look at mental health in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. After a year of fear and solitude fueled by the COVID-19 pandemic, concerns about mental well-being within ourselves and within our communities are especially relevant. Joining us is Sitaniel Wimbley, who's director of the Mississippi chapter of the National Alliance on Mental Illness. She says some Mississippians face real barriers to accessing mental health care. For the state of Mississippi, mental illness such as everyone. Statistically, one in four people lives with a mental illness. So it's something that we can say is prevalent across the state in many different ages, race, economic status. There is no way to say that it's touching specific people. Now, who's getting the help is the difference. People with a lower economic status are not normally the people who are reaching out for help and are not the people who are getting the help that's needed to support a mental health wellness journey. Is it family members or loved ones who recognize mental health or or suspect there may be a mental health issue over the individual themselves? I think there is a underlying amount of stigma that causes individuals as well as their family members not to step forward and say that they have these issues going on. So what generally happens is we see quite often the family members reaching out for help before the individual will step up and finally accept that they're struggling themselves. And that is something that as a state we have to work on, being more accepting of an individual who lives with the mental illness, being able to say that they do feel that they're struggling. So it's not that the family member may be the person to necessarily see it first. It may be that the family members and friends are the people to recognize it first. And in that process, in order for the individual to get help, they have to accept it as their own journey and take the journey of recovery on for themselves. What is the most common mental illness? I would say right now, anxiety and depression are probably more prevalent, partially due to what we've just gone, well, what we are currently going through with COVID. And I think people may be surprised to hear that that is considered a mental illness, depression or anxiety. I think most people at some point feel those emotions, both anxiety and depression. So what is the treatment? Is it medicine? Is it behavioral treatment? For the treatment of those two, it comes in steps. First, the individual has to accept that they're struggling. Statistically, as of February 2021, 42% of adults in Mississippi reported symptoms of anxiety or depression. So that's self-reporting. And then once they recognize the signs and symptoms, there's a step where the individual has to step up and get counseling or therapy so that they can learn how to work through those processes with or without medication. And a clinician would have to determine what is the process for treating 
those mental illnesses. It's just with any other. But even though we say that a clinician has to do that, 21% were unable to get the needed counseling or therapy in order to get the treatment for themselves. So it's important that we recognize as an individual, recognize the signs and symptoms, and two, go to therapy or counseling to get help for the signs and symptoms. So, Tanya, I would think, as you said, there are some steps to take, but that it would be difficult. First of all, stigma may affect how somebody feels about letting anybody know, let alone seeking treatment. And if someone decides, yes, I think I need help, what is the first step? They pick up the phone. Who do they call? Now, there's different ways to do it. If that individual has insurance, the first step is to call the number on the insurance card and find out who can you contact in order to get an appointment. You know, plain and simple as that, get you an appointment, set it up. It could be something done confidentially. You can talk to a therapist without anyone in your family knowing. We now have telehealth across the state. You can go into a therapist's office in some cases and have an appointment. But getting that appointment is the first step. If you don't have insurance, contacting someone like ourselves, we are a nonprofit, and what we do is offer support for individuals who live with the mental illness, and then we have support for the family members who live with the mental illness, and that's at no charge to those individuals. And if there's a situation where you determine, I don't have insurance, I don't have the funds to pay for this, and I still need the help, contact the community mental health centers and find out what the options are for getting those individuals or yourself treatment or contacting local nonprofits such as NAMI Mississippi and finding out what the other options are. Do you recommend going to see your primary care physician initially or, or is that not really going to be helpful? It depends. Some of the primary care physicians do do a screener. They can detect the warning signs of mental illness and some don't. Because of the stigma that's associated with mental illness, a lot of people are not comfortable with their primary care physician because most people only see that person once or twice a year. So I would say you do have the option of going to your primary care physician if you're comfortable. If you're not, just go ahead and make the appointment with the counselor or therapist on your own. And even if it's something that you're not saying, okay, I'm really struggling, I really need help. It could be just, I'm feeling a lot of anxiety. I need to double-check myself. It's okay to contact the counselor or therapist because that's what they're there for. They're there to support you even if there's not a major issue, but they're always there to support. I see that NAMI is hosting a minority mental health conference next month. Is that because minorities face more challenges particularly in Mississippi? Minorities do face more challenges, I would say, across the state. And a lot of that has to do with the option of getting help and then on top of that, the amount of stigma that's associated with getting help. So we we host that Minority Mental Health Conference. This is our second year because we want to be able to shed light on topics that are specifically related to minorities and their mental health journey. Tonight, MPB is hosting a virtual screening of Mysteries of Mental Illness, and it will be followed by a discussion with state mental health leaders. You can register at mpbonline.org, and among those mental health leaders will be Sataniel Wimley, who we've been speaking with. She's the executive director of NAMI Mississippi, and NAMI stands for National Alliance on Mental Illness. Sataniel, thank you so much for being with us. Anytime. 
Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.